Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here, as always. The new season, folks, well, it's upon us, because the Community Shield, as opposed to the Community Shield, is taking place tomorrow, Saturday, and that is seen as the traditional season curtain raiser, if you like. Arsenal versus Liverpool, FA Cup winners against the title winners. So, you know, it's it's here, and it doesn't feel like last season ended more than about three seconds ago. Mikel Arteta was asked today at his press conference, uh, I'm recording Thursday, obviously, he was asked what's the match fitness like what's the match sharpness like and he said uh, well we had two training sessions so <laughs> which just about tells you uh, what we're going to be like tomorrow and really it tells you how seriously we should take this game because uh, the preparations that we were putting in place for the new season, uh, which starts on September 12th, we're going to have the Community Shield this weekend. There are internationals next week. So in terms of getting players fit, getting players ready, dealing with players coming back from holidays and having to quarantine and, and everything else, this is going to be a really weird, difficult start to the new season. And even though it feels like we kind of wiped the slate clean a bit uh, in terms of how we ended last one, the weirdness and the surrealness and the strangeness just continues going into this season. So whatever happens at Wembley tomorrow, I think we have to frame it in this particular context. If we win, great. If we don't win, if we make mistakes, if the fitness isn't great, if we end up getting beaten... I think it's wise just to take some distance from this game and not lose our reason. Um, the manager and his staff have got a, a really difficult job to do for the important games that are coming up, uh, which start on September 12th, as I said, against Fulham away from home. That's the one that we've got to be really concerned about, not tomorrow, not the Community Shield. Um, it's just, it feels like a, an imposition, if you like. But part of the reason we're playing in that, or in fact, the only reason we're playing in that is because we ended last season with success and with the FA Cup win. So that's the price of success. It is the the football equivalent of becoming a movie star and having the paparazzi chase you as soon as you try and go anywhere. 
or something like that. Anyway, let's not worry about uh, crap analogies or metaphors or whatever it might be. Um, a little bit later on, I'll be talking to James about some of the things that Mikel Arteta spoke about at his press conference. Some interesting stuff. He talked about Matteo Genduzzi. He talked about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and his future. There was talk of Danny Ceballos. There was talk of, you know, preparing the players for the new season, etc., etc. He was also asked about uh, Gabriel from Lille and his arrival, um, which we all kind of assumed was imminent, but it doesn't seem as if everything is quite done yet. This is what he had to say about the transfer at his press conference. Regarding Gabriel, we cannot announce anything yet. Um, the deal is not finalized. Um, you all know that is a play that we're following for a long time and um, and hopefully we can get it done. Hi, Mikel. Um, you, you mentioned um, Gabriel there. Is everything okay with, with, with that deal? Well, everything is okay when both parties sign the clubs and the players agree the terms and he goes through the medical. And sometimes that in the last final stages is is not as easy as it looks. But uh, again, we are pretty positive that uh, that we can do. Which, you know, is a bit of a bummer for obvious reasons because we all like a new signing. We all want it to be uh, confirmed and everything else. But, but also because a big part of the conversation I'm about to have with my first guest is based on the assumption that, that Gabriel is going to sign. I don't think it's a case that, that it's in doubt. He said he sounds pretty positive, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I, I thought maybe by the time this went out, it might have all been announced. But it hasn't been something worth bearing in mind you know, when you listen to this conversation about Gabriel, about William Saliba, about Nicholas Pepe and much more. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show France-based football writer, broadcaster and author. It's Matt Spiro. Hi, Matt. Hi, Andrew. Can we start by talking a little bit first about the, the new league uh, season, which is um, encountering some issues um, because of COVID-19. And I think with with talk of fans being allowed back in stadiums in England starting hopefully in October, that's when Arsenal certainly have got earmarked for a, a limited number of fans to, to get back into the stadiums. What exactly is happening and, and what's the impact it's having on games? Yeah, it, there has been quite a, a big impact. I'd start by saying that in, in general... My feeling sort of having, I haven't been back to the UK, but my family are, are over there. I feel like in France, things are very relaxed just in general. They're bringing in stricter measures now, but I kind of feel like in France in June, the virus had pretty much gone and everybody mm. just started getting on with life a little bit as normal. And that was premature. Um, so I think that's reflected a little bit in terms of the football teams and, and the preparations. And we've been going around a few clubs doing doing shoots and doing interviews and you know, some clubs sort of take your temperature before you arrive, but, you know, there's not big kind of precautions. You know, the players are right. not that sort of pr- pr- protected. I think they're going to have to, you know, get 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 a lot tighter with that. Uh, so basically, a good number of clubs have had positive cases of COVID. What we're seeing a lot at the moment is um, players being tested positive without actually having any symptoms. So, you know, it's obviously the fact that they're, they're doing this testing now every couple of days that they're picking up a lot of positive cases that I think would have gone undetected otherwise. Um, so in the first weekend, uh, last weekend, we had the opening game was was postponed. That was Marseille-Saint-Etienne. Marseille had five cases. They've got three more this week, so eight, um, eight COVID cases. They're supposed to be playing their first game against Brest this weekend. We're going to hear today or tomorrow whether that will be postponed or not. Mm. Um, Ten or 12 different clubs all have all have cases at the moment, so and the LFP, the French League, have said if you have four 
COVID cases within, you know, within the eight days before a game, then you have to postpone the game. Um, so, but there seem to be, mm. you know, so many games in danger of being postponed that there's there's talk that they're going to kind of uh, relax that a little bit, uh, which, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure is, is a good idea, but they're, but they're aware of the pressure of having to get games in because already the season's starting a bit late, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this weekend we've got Rennes, Montpellier, which is under threat. Um, I think there are at least three cases at Rennes and the Marseille game against Brest. So, um, yeah, what with COVID and also PSG deciding they fancied a bit more of a rest after the Champions League. So their game's off this weekend. Right. Um, it's it, Yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit tricky to start sure. of the season. I mean, is there any correlation between uh, what's happening with the rising cases? You know, you, you talked about the relaxation, and, and I think that's been apparent in, uh, you know, certainly here in Ireland. It's been apparent, I think, in England, where, you know, the initial kind of drama of it all has has diminished to an extent. But is there any correlation between what's happening with the players and that relaxation in terms of their time off um, ahead of the new season because I know certainly um, you know a lot of Premier League players were away and have gone on holidays and have taken yeah. some time abroad and and you know uh, I'm sure most will have taken a lot of precautions but it only takes one guy in the group to perhaps asymptomatically as you say pass it on to more. Yeah, I I think so. I mean it's been different here because you know the season didn't restart so the players yeah. were kind of off doing their own thing for several months. They they started their pre-season early. Um, so they've been together um, since July um, training. But yeah, the, the measures have been nowhere near as stringent as, as they were in the Premier League. Um, what we've seen in France is that, you know, particularly in August, because people are not traveling for their holiday, they're not going abroad for their holidays, everybody's kind of you know, flock to the south of France or to or to Brittany in the west, mm. and so you've got. That's why you know, in particular, we've had Marseille, Nîmes, Nice, Montpellier. Um, they're all struggling because you know they are Marseille is a red zone. Um, so, so you know, it's 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 difficult because the players are not they're not living in isolation, um, and yeah, the virus is very very active at the moment and. Uh, I'm not a medical expert, but there does seem to be, you know, there does seem to be an awful lot of cases where players are not not getting this, not getting symptoms. So when they say we've got five new, you know, five thousand new cases in France today, they're the ones being tested. So you just wonder what the real figure is because it's obviously going around a, you know, a big chunk of the population. Yeah, so it's community transmission. And you know, are there plans in France to let fans back in stadiums yet, or is there? Yes, yeah. no, no, fans, fans are back. Well, right. we're basically, we're, we're, we've got five thousand is the um, is the limit. So we've right. got five thousand fans in the stadiums. And again, it's you know, it's personally, I. I I just think it's kind of, you know, not necessarily coherent with everything else that's going on. Um, we saw in the, in, in the cup finals, fans quite grouped together and uh, not necessarily wearing masks. The the, the Liga matches last, I, I commentated Lille against Rennes and uh, um, I thought it looked it looked quite good because we had 5,000 fans, albeit in a big stadium, but there was a lot behind one goal and along one side. So mm. the TV kind of saw that quite well. And they were spaced out and it was, much, you know, it was nice to see supporters in there. And they're doing, they're doing a kind of um, mixture of real crowd noise 
and sort of piped in noise. Right. So it's, it kind of feels like there's a really good atmosphere, but it's it's not quite real. It's a right. bit more real than the totally fake, but slightly, yeah. slightly more real. Okay, well, look, we'll see how it goes. And obviously, you know, the fact that it's starting up ahead of some of the other leagues will be it'll be interesting to keep an eye on on how it goes and how things go there, and whether it might, you know, we might see some of the same issues in in terms of the Premier League. Um. Let's talk about two defenders, one who uh, we believe is going to be signing for Arsenal, one who has signed for Arsenal. Well, he signed for Arsenal uh, last season uh, and spent uh, that season on loan at his former club, Saint-Étienne, is is William Saliba. He played his first game for the club this week in the friendly against MK Dons. Um, It's obviously way, way too early to... Uh, to make any kind of judgment about the kind of player he is. But I'm just curious about what, what sort of a season he had last season uh, at Saint-Étienne. Uh, Saint um, clearly, the, the the decision to leave him there on loan was to let him play regularly and, and to develop. Was there that kind of development in his game? Was it a, a kind of season that he could build on? Yeah, I just I, I saw a photo of him um, from from that friendly. I think that that might have been the biggest pair of shorts an Arsenal player has ever had. I mean, he's a big <laughs> boy, and those I mean those shorts were huge. Um, he he had a difficult season because of injuries. Um, he had a bit of a groin problem, and then more seriously broke um, metatarsal, or that you know that 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 hampered him a lot. So it wasn't ideal in that respect. Um, Arsenal and obviously Saint Etienne and Saliba would have liked him to to play more um but i think you know he's 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 a year older he's had another year in in Ligue 1, um you know albeit not a not a complete season but uh you know he looked he he continued to look the part when he did play this season i mean there, you know I've, i saw a few of the games one game really sticks with me because it was the the cup semi-final against ren um where you know i was particularly attentive to his performance and in the first sort of five or ten minutes he conceded a penalty, so mm. I thought, "Oh God, it's David Luiz Mark II." No, I didn't, but <laughs> you know, it was like he kind of left his foot in and tripped, tripped, tripped the guy up, and Ren, Ren took the lead. And I just thought, what was interesting is that as the game went on, he just his presence in the game got bigger and bigger. He defensively was 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 absolutely brilliant, and it was almost like he, you know, he felt like he had to atone for that error. He ended mm. up being the man of the match. He Saint-Étienne got back to 1-1 and in the last minute Saliba surged sort of forward from the defence into the midfield played a good pass to the edge of the box ball broke to Boudabous who scored so you know he Saint-Étienne won it last minute 2-1 and uh, and Saliba was voted man of the match and I just thought that said so much about this guy's character um, you know massive game for him concedes a penalty early on and and, uh, and, and, and he was really impressive and, and I think that is what I think that is what we're getting. I think Arsenal, if Gabriel comes as well, I think we're getting two proper defenders. And I'd say that with more confidence about Saliba um, than with Gabriel. I've got um, no reason to think Gabriel would be a poor signing. It's just that I haven't seen quite as much of him. And he's not a guy who has stood out as much as Saliba. Saliba, I, I remember making his debut at 17 and, you know, he was a boy and he already... You know, he already looked very much like a man mm. who was who was just totally at at home at that level, and it made me, it did make me think. And I'm not, you know, it's really easy and un- unhelpful to make comparisons. But I commentated Rafael Varane when he was 17 playing for Lens, and I had that exact same feeling that, you know, you mm. you don't quite believe the guy's age, and you think, well, this this is clearly a special player. 
Well, that's certainly promising. Not that you're heaping more expectation and pressure on him among the <laughs> Arsenal fan base, but no, I, I, it's it's a nice bit of insight there. I mean, w- when we talk about his game um, and what he might bring to Arsenal and the kind of player that he is, I think we can look at you know central defenders these days. Um, you know, the, I, I guess everyone's looking for their own Virgil Van Dijk, if you like, the physical presence, the speed, the um, the agility, the ability to turn, the ability to play. Uh, you know, you've got to be this kind of all-in-one package now to be the kind of centre half everybody wants, and and Saliba seems to tick a lot of those a lot of those boxes. Are there aspects of his game that you think, in the very short term, Mikel Arteta is going to look at and look to improve? I mean, one of the things, and it could just be a case that this is the first game he's played in in X amount of time and the first game of preseason, and everyone's a little bit rusty, but one of the things that, that struck me... Um, when I was watching him against MK Dons, his passing was very good, and that's a positive thing. Uh, his first touch sometimes was a, a little bit on the heavy side. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that's an aspect of his game that needs work or if it's just simply a case that this is the first game that, that he's played since uh, the last time he played for Saint-Étienne, and we're now in August, and you know, preseason is just beginning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I think, I think he'll be all right in that respect. Um, I, I don't... I don't think he has a particular a particular issue there. He used to play as a midfielder. He used to be an attacking midfielder in in, in his youth, and it was sort of the age of fourteen or so that that, that he converted to centre back. and And even then, his his coaches say that you know when we were losing, we just put him either into midfield or or, or up front. So you know, he's a guy who he does have you know he is quite comfortable mm. on the ball. So I think he'll be all right in that respect. In terms of first few matches and, and what have you. He is a big, heavy guy. I mean, you know, he's a... He, I don't mean overweight, but it just his build yeah. is, is very, very solid. Um, and he has had injuries in the last year. So I'd say initial concerns would be, yeah, just sort of getting up to speed. He'll need sort of games in terms of keeping up with strikers on the turn because, you know, it, I, I think he's a sort of player... We saw it with Sol Campbell when he was sort of out similar sort of build he he took took a few games sometimes to get up to speed and he would sometimes put on a bit of weight when he was injured um so you know i i I just think it's yeah a case of keeping him fit getting a few games and if in the first few games you see him get turned a bit too easily you know that might happen Mm. um but but no i mean i i think you know I, i think in terms of his 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 um his ball control his passing and overall his you know his speed once he is fit and uh, and going he'll be all right he'll be all right um you know i i think as with any young player it'll be a question of concentration i think the premier league um is relentless in terms of pace and intensity so mm. that's the other aspect that he will have to get used to uh, yeah, Mikel Arteta has spoken a little bit about, you know, expectation levels. Um, and when you make a £28 million uh, central defensive signing, um, and this is a year ago when Arsenal made this, of course, there is a measure of expectation that comes with the price tag itself. You know, um, and at 18 years of age, as he was then, to pay that amount of money to secure his future, to to pay the money and leave him there because you want the player that badly also does that. But from what you're saying, I mean, look, I think everybody listening to this can understand that a 19-year-old coming to the Premier League to English football may take 
you know, more than a season perhaps to really find his feet and to develop 20 is still very young for a centre half. 24 sometimes can be considered uh, young for a centre half considering how much learning there is to do in that position. But from what you're saying and from some of the things that you've seen from him, the the the, the pressure or the character that he has, you know, he, he'll be able to cope with that well enough, do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I think so. I think there are a few things he's got on his side that 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 would be, you know, he's coming in effectively not to replace Tony Adams or Sol Campbell. He's coming in to replace Mustafi mm. or 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 Rob Holding or or what have you. So I I just think Arsenal fans at the moment um, are you know they're, they 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 know what's happened in the last few years. They're clever enough. They're patient. Or I think they will be patient because they know this is a guy, you know, who could who could become a top, a very important Arsenal player for, for for years to come. So I think they will there'll be a certain amount of indulgence if he does make a few few early mistakes. I mean, they don't want him to look uh, look like a sort of you know a clown out there, but I don't think that's the case. And I think mm. he's you know I think he is a very a very yeah accomplished defender. And you know, in terms of his temperament. He's he's just taken so many giant strides already, and without wanting to certainly like put put Arsenal down, that's that's the last thing I would want to do. Of course. But I don't think he sees this as the uh, you know the end. Do you know what I mean? I think he sees this as the beginning, and he talks about you know wanting to emulate Varane, win Champions Leagues, play for France. Mm. So you know this is a this is a step. I'm not saying it's a stepping stone because we all hope that he'll help Arsenal get back get back to the top and there'll be no need to, to, to go anywhere else in his career. But, you know, I, 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 I don't think he'll be looking at this as like a really, really daunt. He'll be looking at it as a very exciting challenge. I don't think he'll be daunted by it. Okay, well, that's that's positive. And I think it's good sometimes if the pressure works both ways, if you like, in terms of what a player might expect from his career at a club. And if, you know, the club can respond to that and, and give the players what they want. I mean, there's something similar going on, obviously, with, with Aubameyang to an extent in terms of convincing him in the final stages of his career that, that his sporting ambitions can be realized uh, with Arsenal. And, and uh, you know, from what we hear, um, somebody has done that. Obviously, there's a financial element to it as well but um, there's an element of belief in in what Arteta can do and how he can rebuild things and part of that I suppose is is fixing gaps and and bringing in a, a young central defender who can be part of the future is is an interesting aspect of it I think the other interesting aspect of what's going on is uh, the links to to Gabriel from Lille um it's sort of strange in a way isn't it that Arsenal are bringing in a left-footed central defender just months after already bringing in another yeah. left-footed central defender in, in in Pablo Marie, who joined from Flamengo on loan in January. His his uh, move was made official during the summer. Um, but but talk to us a little bit about Gabriel and and what kind of a player he is and and how he's made a breakthrough at Lille because you know he arrived from Brazil to their B team. He had some uh, spells out on loan. Um, so how did those go for him and, um, how did his path to his, his breakthrough season at Lille come about? Yeah. Well, I mean, just as an aside, pretty much everybody that Lille have signed since Luis Campos has been in charge and it's been what, three seasons now has, 
has paid, you know, has has paid off in incredible in an incredible way. So, so you're saying it's a bring, massive sort of vote of confidence that Lewis bring Campos Lu- bring Lewis Campos to Arsenal? Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> it wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't be a bad idea. Sadly, sure he's Jose Mourinho's best mate, so I'm oh, not right. sure he, he's going to join Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so you know, so they brought him in. Uh, apparently, he had you know he had two or three months at the club as a 19 year old at Lille. And had a long chat with Luis Campos, and it, it was decided that he would benefit from going out on loan. So he moved to to a second division side, Trois. Played a bit there, didn't play a huge amount. Moved to Z- Dynamo Zagreb for another six months, and by all accounts, that was much more successful. And he helped them to win the double, and I think that was uh, that was a very positive move for him. And then, so it was a 2018-19 season that that he got his break. Um, this was a great season for Lille, where. They had a chap called Nicola Pepe who was rattling oh, yeah. in the goals every weekend. Mm. And he um, <laughs> and Gabriel struck up a really good understanding with Jose Font, who had uh, just jo- joined the club. And he's also turned out to be a good signing. So we were, he joined at 34. He'd been in China. We all thought, oh, not sure that, not sure about that. But Font has, has really sort of stabilised the defence. And Gabriel has benefited from having from having his experience uh, alongside him. So he, you know, second half of that season, he helped them finish second, get into the Champions League. And then last season was his first kind of full season um, as a Lille starter. And he's just been really, really solid, really consistent. Um, played in the Champions League. Lille generally struggled. They were with Chelsea, Ajax and, and, and Valencia. They finished bottom of the group. He, he did OK. Um, and yeah, a young, a young man who is in some respects like Saliba in that he's, he's 6'3", Saliba 6'4". Um, he's very good in the air. He's, he's he's a good passer as well, um, but like Salabri, he's, he's he's a young man and he's he's had one season, you know, one full season in in Liga. So I was a bit surprised as well when I start when I heard the links. I thought, well, hang on, they just signed Pablo Marie. Um, is you know what what, what what's the thinking here? But um, I guess the thinking is they're going to try and offload a few centre backs and yeah, like I said at the at the start, Andrew, I think I think Gabriel is a proper defender. He's He's no nonsense. Um, he's strong in the tackle. He's, he's 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 strong in the air. He's probably not the quickest. Um, I'm not saying he's 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 really slow, but he's probably not the quickest. You probably need somebody with a bit of pace alongside him. Um, but uh, no, I think look, I think they've they're, they're 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 signing two two guys who who are very good, strong big defenders who are going to be certainly help Arsenal in the air at the back. Yeah. I think, yeah, lo- looking forward, it could be a good partnership. I wouldn't necessarily see Saliba and Gabriel starting in a, in, in a back four because I think that's probably too big a gamble. You never know. But, um, yeah, possibly yeah. in a back five with, uh, with David Luiz. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because um, obviously the, the, the physical size, the presence that, that Arsenal sometimes have lacked defensively is in some ways offset by... By these two guys, Gabriel is six foot three. I think Saliba is six foot four. Pablo Marie is six foot four. Whatever he might be. So, um, in terms of the players that they brought in, um, there's a difference between the you know six foot six foot one guys like uh, Luis Socrates, Mustafi is I, I think about five foot eleven. You know, so um, and he's very good in the air. In fairness to him, but you know, in in terms of physical presence, these guys can really add something. But I was just wondering. In both of those cases, uh, Saliba and, and Gabriel, how 
how accustomed are they to playing in uh, a back three with somebody like Louise, um, you know, in the middle, uh, and they're playing in that that slightly different position. You have a slightly different role as a central defender in a three than uh, as part of a, a two. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gabriel um, has, as far as I can recall, has only played in a back four at Lille. It's right. always been Jose Font um, and Gabriel. They've they, they've they've played a flat back four under Christophe Galtier. Um, so. Slight question mark there. Like I say, though, his, his distribution is good. Uh, I don't see why he couldn't wouldn't be able to adapt to playing on the left side of a three. Um, Saliba has played both. Saliba has played uh, on the right side of a of a of a back three or back back five, if you like. Um, I personally, I, I I think I prefer him in in a back four. Mm. Um, he's played very well alongside Loic Perrin, a little bit like. Um, Gabriel with 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 Font Loic Perrin as you know Saint Etienne's stalwart captain, thirty thirty five years of age, just retired now. But you know that was a really important sort of player for for William Saliba to learn alongside. Mm. Um, and and Loic Perrin has has sort of talked glowingly of of Saliba, saying he really listens and he really wants advice. And uh, they 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 formed a great partnership. So Saint Etienne sort of have, have have alternated between the back five and back four and Saliba. He's been fine in 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 both in both of those uh, scenarios. Yeah. Okay. Um, just finally, we we could talk very quickly about uh, Nicolas Pepe, um, and and when he signed, we we spoke on this podcast, and you were very excited about what he might be able to do. Um, and I think there were signs this season that as it developed and as it progressed, Pepe was feeling a lot more comfortable at Arsenal. He certainly understood what was needed and wanted from him uh, as the season went on. I don't think he was helped, obviously, by the term the turmoil at Arsenal uh, under Unai Emery and then the change to Freddie Jumberg and Mikel Arteta coming in and it just being one of the craziest seasons that anyone can remember from an Arsenal point of view. All the other challenges you face as a new player coming to a new country with all that other stuff on top of it, it, it does make it a little bit difficult. But I think what what a point you made was that it was his second season at Lille which really saw him kick on. Mm. So um, I'm not putting you on the spot here and uh, <laughs> uh, putting this all down to you, but do you feel like he is the kind of player who, who may need some time to settle at a club and in his second season with Arsenal, we we could and should expect more from him? Yeah, do you, do you think our signings from Lille are getting better? Because we've done we've done Pascal Sigon, Gervinho, mm. Nicola Pepe. So it's, it's on an upward curve, I think. Hopefully, fingers um, crossed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I, yeah, I was really excited about Pepe last year, and I, I found it frustrating um, a lot of the time watching him, just because I know he's capable of doing so much more than he than he has done. I, okay, his stats are all right in the end. He's got what nine goals and. Nine or ten assists, mm. but uh, but he honestly is capable of being so much more involved, combining more um, with 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 his teammates. Now, why hasn't it quite clicked for for Nicola Pepe? Um, I think there 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 are different factors. Some coming from the team and the way the team is set up. Pepe is at his best when the ball is in front of him. You know, when the game is in front of him, mm. when he's got space to run into. And certainly for the first few months under Emery, I just felt like he was getting the ball all the time on that right wing with his back to goal, with two defenders on him. And 
he'd you know he'd he'd try a few little tricks see what he could do and then he'd pass backwards and it just kind of it was just quite infuriating and I think under Arteta we've seen the last few months Arsenal using him a little bit better but by the same token I would say that Pepe's disappointed me just in terms of not so much his attitude but he's just lacking conviction a lot of the time and you know he'll 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 go on a dribble or he'll go on a run and he just won't quite see the action through to the end um and i think that's confidence um we 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 saw you know when freddie took over after after unai emery he also left pepe out arteta at the beginning left uh, pepe out quite a lot um and they obviously want a bit more from him on the training ground a bit more in terms of you know his attitude and and his hunger to make the difference so you know i think it's it's both Arsenal, Arteta, who need to, to look at how best to use Nicola Pepe, but it's also up to Nicola Pepe to to really sort of knuckle down, whether that's in, in training um, or or out on the pitch, sort of making sure there is there is more end product because there have been moments this season, his goal against West Ham, there are a couple of other performances where I thought, okay, this is it. Now uh, FA Cup final, now, I thought he was F- fantastic. Well, exactly. yeah. The FA Cup final is, is, I think, you know, what gives me a lot of hope because he wasn't just you know, decisive, as they like to say in France, sort of setting up, setting up a goal. But he, he was really sort of getting stuck in. And I think, you know, the defensive side of his game has definitely improved. I think it was pretty, pretty awful probably at the start in terms of, mm. um, yeah, coming back and, and, and helping the fullback. I think he does that a lot more now. So, you know, again, that's something that Arteta is going to be working on with him, his, 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 his discipline off the ball. Um, but the key is to get him is to get him running forward with the ball, you know, running into space. That is where he can just destroy teams. And yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm confident, Andrew. I was confident a year ago, but I'm still confident. And I think going back to what I said about the Arsenal fans these days, you know, because they get they, they they get a tough time. We get a tough time in the press yeah. um, for being demanding or spoiled or what have you. But I think things things are changing, and a lot of Arsenal fans they recognise Pepe's talent and his ability, and I think they're they're behind him, and they know that. You know, if he can get that confidence, and if the team can, can 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 play to his strengths more, then you know we could see a really good season from him. I suppose. I mean, the other thing, just finally, is is the the difference in how he is being asked, or how he was asked to play at Arsenal versus how he is asked to play at Lille. Like it, it is quite different. Um, when we think about Arsenal now, we want to think about a you know a team that dominates possession and you know is more in control of games than we've been in recent seasons. But uh, that sort of comes um, at odds with with a team that's set up to counterattack in the way that he was so effective with Lille. Yeah, yeah, and I think I did mention that last year as a sort of caveat that you know he, he was so good at Lille because they defended. Um, in numbers, and then and then and then use Pepe to to counter attack. I mean, what what I also expected, and I haven't really seen. I really thought on the pitch he'd strike up a great understanding with Lacazette and Aubameyang, partly because of you know the French, but also the the the, the kind of personalities of the, of the three of them. And we've sort of seen, you know, when the three of them play, I just feel like that Lacazette and Aubameyang kind of they have that connection and they combine a lot more. And we don't really see Pepe getting mm. getting that involved in that, and I- you know. I think he's. I think he's got it with Aubameyang. I think there have been times yeah. this season where he has delivered for Aubameyang and and vice versa, maybe. But I don't. I agree with you. I don't think we've seen it so much with with Lacazette. Maybe that's the way that Lacazette is being asked to play in the system that we were using towards the end of the uh, end of the season. But I do feel like there was a there was something building there between Aubameyang and Pepe. Yeah, and the other thing. 
there were a few performances where Maitland-Niles played right back and I thought Pepe looked like a slightly different player, a better mm. player, because Maitland-Niles, you know, okay, he's got his flaws and often his crossing's not great, but he was, you know, he bombed beyond Pepe and yeah. that then opens up the space for Pepe to cut inside, to combine with him. And, you know, hopefully Hector Bellerin can, you know, be fit and get back to, to you know, to his top level so he can start overlapping a bit more. Um because I think, yeah, I think Pepe benefits as well from having that that sort of uh, possibility to combine with uh, with the right back. But mm. um, but but you're right, you know, with playing against very tight grouped defense, you know, uh, packed defenses is not well. It makes it hard for all attackers, but in particular for for somebody who who relies a lot on his pace, like like Nicola Pepe. But that's you know that's something that Arteta needs to work on. And I think you can still create those spaces by being good at pressing um, in a high up the pitch. And then when you get that transition and the team doesn't have loads of defenders, the opponents don't have lots of defenders back, that's where you can you can use Pepe's speed. Mm, okay, well, look, we've got things to look forward to. And, uh, you know, um, despite some concerns that some of the, the age profiles of, of a couple of signings and a couple of people staying might be a little bit the other way, when you're looking at Saliba, Gabriel, Pepe still uh, coming into their primes, uh, Hopefully Arsenal can find the right balance. And look, no doubt we'll catch up with you again during the season. But for now, Matt, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to Matt. You can find him on Twitter at Matt Spiro, at Matt Spiro. And if you're looking for some reading material, I do highly recommend the book that he brought out uh, earlier this year. You might remember he was on the Arscast talking about it called Sacre Bleu Zidane to Mbappe, a football journey. A look at the ups and downs of uh, France and French football between 1998 and 2018. And of course, a lot happened uh, in that time period. So if you're looking for the definitive uh, version of what went on in French football there. Do check out Matt's book. Uh, as I said, it's called Sacre Bleu Zidane to Mbappe, A Football Journey. You can get it from your local independent bookstore. They'll be happy to order it for you. Or if you want to get it directly from the publishers, just go to bitebackpublishing.com. That's bitebackpublishing.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, joining me now on the Arscast for some midfield Mikel Arteta press conference chat is James. Hello, James. 
Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, we heard from our, our manager for the first time in a few weeks. It mm. seems it seems quick um, after the end of last season, but here we are. We're ready to go again. Community Shield uh, on Saturday against Liverpool. Um, but there were some interesting bits and pieces from this press conference. Look, he talked about a lot of stuff, um, which is already out there. There'll be more stuff coming out over the weekend, of course, with some of the embargoed material. There was stuff about COVID. There was stuff about transfers, Gabrielle not being signed yet. But I thought we might just focus on the midfield bits and pieces that he talked about. The first one I want to touch on is Ainsley um, Mm Maitland-Niles, who, as Mm -hmm. we know, is sort of half in, half out um, in terms of the rumours anyway. And we've had a bid turned down or bid from Wolves that we turned down. Um, But it it was quite interesting to hear Arteta talk about Maitland-Niles, he says he's a player uh, since I joined, I said uh, I really like. The best way to show that is I've played him in the most important games of the season and he responded really well, so that's where we are with the player. He goes on to talk about how he's happy to talk to a player about his career, etc, etc. So does it feel a little bit to you like he is, he's trying to convince Maitland-Niles that his future is here and maybe Maitland-Niles is has got an offer from somewhere that's very tempting and and he's just trying to you know publicly put a little bit of pressure on him and, and say look I showed this faith in you and that's what I think of you maybe I mean I, I feel like um you know the noises we're getting out of Arsenal is that obviously they've turned down the bid for Maitland-Niles but maybe that there is a price that they would be prepared to mm. see him go at uh clearly from Wolves's perspective they're looking at him they're about to sell Doherty aren't they to Tottenham uh who's their right wing back and Maitland-Niles I think would presumably fill that spot for them uh I, I, I sort of I look at these quotes and I kind of think I read the section about you know we're happy to talk to players uh, to listen to what they are feeling at every stage of their career Uh, and it feels like it's kind of putting the ball in his court it's sort of saying well you know if he goes it's because he wants to go it's Mm. not because I necessarily wanted him to go which I think given the way Maitland-Niles played towards the end of the season makes a degree of sense and also is probably a smart way for Arteta to position himself Um, the quotes didn't leave me thinking I think he's going to stay. I, I still got the sense that there was that sort of wiggle room there that if the right price is met, he'll go. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was maybe a little bit of a, look, you know, I like you. I've played you in the in the FA Cup semi-final. I've played you in the FA Cup final. Mm. You know, this this is not just a way for me to show you that, that I like you. It's because, you know, he, you don't pick a player for a cup final just to sort of try and convince him to stay for next season. You don't do that. You do it because you genuinely believe in the player. So mm-hmm. I think there is an element of that. I wonder as well, as we, we move on to, uh, we'll move on to other things, just, you know, when we listen to managers in press conferences and when we hear the things they have to say, you know, at face value, things can mean one thing. I wonder, is there a need maybe to read between the lines um, when it comes to some of the things that, that he says and many managers say in the sense that it's like, well, we're not going to say we don't like Maitland-Niles. We're not going to yeah. say we want to get rid of him. We've turned down an offer that we think is not good enough from Wolves. So we're going to talk up the qualities of the player in order to extract the maximum value from him, in a way. I, so th- I think 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like I said, I think there is a bit of positioning going on and maybe even a bit of negotiating too. Um, you know, I, I would like Maitland-Niles to stay, but I think all the momentum has been towards him leaving. And I think if Wolves come back with another five or ten million quid, I think that is probably what will happen. Uh, and actually, my overriding feeling listening to Arteta today was that he was kind of playing everything pretty close to his chest you know he was kind of keeping his options open uh, on almost everything he said which I think says something about the vagaries of the transfer market and the fact that so many deals and so many players futures are kind of in the balance right now yeah one of the other ones is Matteo Ganduzzi a guy who didn't feature mm-hmm. at all towards the end of last season we know he didn't make the the squad he didn't make the cup final he missed out on Wembley he missed out on a medal he missed out on the occasion um and you know until today I don't think anybody would have said there is a future for him at Arsenal but after what Arteta said at his press conference you know um it feels perhaps on the one hand like the door might be open to him he says he's spoken to him during the off season and uh, he says uh, you know uh, telling him exactly that he's going to be part of the first team squad and at the moment he's like any other player uh, he deserves to be treated like uh, exactly the same and I will do that blah 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 and he talked again about this idea that you know everybody starts from zero all the time in football what you did 2 weeks ago or 2 years ago doesn't matter it's what you're able to contribute to the team now so then you know on the one hand you're going well this is uh, uh, perhaps expedience because the, the market is difficult. And here's a, a decent young player that we, you know, might want to keep. And maybe he's learned his lesson. Maybe he grows from this. Maybe he becomes a better player, a better person. You know, and I've given him this chance, and he he feels grateful to me and the team. And we get a much better Matteo Genduzzi. But at the same time, maybe it's just like there's no offers. From Matteo Ganduzzi, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do wonder about that. I mean, you know, he was the kind of big hope in terms of producing some revenue for us this summer. Um, and the only real transfer stories that we've heard about Matteo Ganduzzi have involved Arsenal offering him out in swap deals, yeah. um, none of which have kind of been deemed acceptable. So. I think there may be an element of that. I mean, there's a number of midfield players and you know you can count Maitland-Niles among them potentially in, in that central area of the park. And I think it's inevitable that some will go, but not all will go. And I think Arteta probably has to guard himself so that if he's left with one, he's not publicly said, we've absolutely no use to him. I mean, yeah. I don't fully buy his... Um, his thing of, you know, what you did two weeks ago didn't matter. I mean, it didn't feel like that in May, did it? Or, or in June, sorry, yeah, you know, yeah, when yeah. Uh, when we came back from... Uh, and Gunduzi was very much kind of out after the Brighton game. You know, it, it, it is pretty remarkable turnaround from Arteta. But maybe, again, there's a bit of positioning. Maybe there's that thing of, well... We're not getting the offers we want because everybody knows we want to get rid of him. If we open the door uh, to him making a comeback or, you know, even if we give him Mm. a bit of playing time, put him in the shop window, it might drum up some more interest or get it more to the level that we deem acceptable. I mean, I'd love to believe that, you know, there's going to be this great big turnaround and Gaduzzi's learnt his lesson, but... It felt so far gone that I'm a little bit sceptical about that possibility. Yeah, I I am too, to be honest. Unless they've had like a really open, frank conversation about what happened and why it Mm. happened and and everything else. And there has been some sort of reproachment on on the part of Genduzzi because, you know, he was basically uh, excluded. He was... 
Um, not even in the squad. He wasn't training with the team. He was uh, nowhere when we played the cup final. You know, things like that do indicate that a player's future at a club is very much um, in the balance would be a, a polite diplomatic way of, of putting it, you know. Um, uh, he's also, I think, two years away from his contract's expiry. So, yeah, you know, in an ideal world, if you're considering keeping him, you want him to sign an extension. Well, it feels very difficult for that to be agreed at the time being. So this really is the time, I think, if you're considering selling Genduzi to do it. Um, but it is just interesting, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've sort of felt for a while that Arsenal bringing in another player beyond Gabriel, which we assume is going to get over the line sometime soon, um, not as soon as people would like, it seems, but mm. soon nonetheless, uh, that Arsenal will have to move somebody out in order to do that. And maybe that's not quite as easy as we hoped it might be, you know, with yeah. the climate being what it is. Do, do, you, do you feel a little bit like... You know, because of the amount of players who are potentially uh, departures, right? Yeah. The, the amount of players who potentially could leave the club, that every time there's a story about one of them, we sort of believe instantly that, well, that's it. That's the end for him. Um, there are going to be players who are linked strongly with moves away from the club. There are going to be players who, yeah. who, who we would um, have been willing to sell if the right offer came in who stay. That's and who are true. who are going to have to be part of the the team next season? So in some ways, it's really easy, isn't it? When you hear about X player is linked with X club, and if you're okay with that, you're sort of like, well, that's it. I've washed my hands yep. with that guy. Let's get rid of him. And then it's sort of like, oh god, we have to keep him. What's that? You know, that <laughs> kind of way. Of course, and that's why the manager's going to be a bit non-committal. I mean, I'm reminded of when he was asked about Alex Lacazette's future, you know, during the sort of run-in last season, and he kind of said, well, you know, it's a conversation we need to sit down and we need to have, and he didn't really say one way or the other what he felt about it, and that's because mm. he's one of those players that Arsenal would potentially sell if the right offer came in. But you could probably apply that to about 70% of the squad, yeah, to yeah, be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. But Arteta can't afford to go around burning bridges and saying, no, we actually want rid of that guy. He's no good to us. Or, you know, I've completely had it with this personality. So he's, he's in a tricky position because he doesn't know. I mean, when is the transfer deadline? It's in October, right? October so, the 6th, yeah. He has no idea, really, what the makeup of his squad is going to be come that come that day so well, he can't burn any bridges yeah I mean the, the the squad for the first day of the season could be remarkably different from the squad um, you know for our f fourth or yeah. fifth game I think there's four games in the Premier League until the, the window closes so you could be looking um, you could be looking at very different lineups um, pre and post transfer window mm. Um and, and to that point, by the way, I know that, you know, some of the younger players in the squad, people who've sort of might maybe be looking to get some first team experience, go out on loan. There's a bit of uncertainty at the moment. The club can't really tell them, you know, well, we definitely need you or you're going to go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, that's the position that they're in, unfortunately. It is a kind of uh, a bit of a limbo period. I think he did say, you know, nobody's really moved aggressively in the market yet and things are going to happen, a lot's going to happen between now and October the 6th, which is mm. what we were saying, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on the Arscast Extra the other day. That's just a regular cough this time, by sure, the way. Sure, sure, not one uh, of those special coughs. No one of those special coughs. And, and we were saying that, like, as the, as the deadline approaches, things will start to heat up. And I think that's kind of what Arteta is looking at and what he's hinting at. Um, 
He talked about Mohamed El Neni, who's back in the team, scored a, a, a cracking goal the other night uh, yeah. against MK Dons. Um, and he said, I know him really well. I played with him. He's a positive character. Uh, you know, while he's with us, he'll be given all our support in the best possible environment for them to perform as high as they can. And then he was asked, like, do you expect him to stay? And he was like, well, we don't know. Uh, the 6th mm. of October is still too far. It's pretty unpredictable to know what's going to happen. And, in you know, in terms of the tone of voice of that one, it felt a lot more like, well, chances are we're going to, you know, let this guy go. Again, it's about finding the destination, but it didn't seem like this this one was like, well, you know, we want, we really want to keep him, keep the price high, keep the price high. You know, it's, it's <laughs> he didn't say this sort of, you know, he knows what I think of him, or you know, no. he, there, yeah, yeah, there yeah. are some sort of telltale phrases. I think you're right, but conversely, I do think that if I don't know, buyers came in for Ganduzi, Maitland Niles, Torreira, and they were sort of replaced with you know a, a top quality of central midfield player. It's not impossible for me to foresee a scenario where El Nenny is around as a kind of backup. I mean, you know, it, I, I really do think it's kind of that fluid at the moment, and it just depends who stays and who goes. I mean, El Nenny, we know his limitations for sure, um, but I think some of his weaknesses are a bit overstated. I think he's kind of very much a kind of six, seven out of ten player, and he's he's never better than that, but he's only rarely worse yeah you know i think that's fair i mean in terms of what you get from him there's an element of reliability i mean it's not brilliant is it you know it's like driving at 50 miles an hour to get somewhere and no higher or no lower than 50 (laughs) miles an hour the whole time you know Uh, sometimes that's very handy other times you're not going to be able to get yourself out of trouble but but there is that i mean he does have a contract uh, until 2022 as well so you know, those are things that, that we might have to deal with uh, when mm. it comes to him. And I think you're right. Like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that if we sell Ganduzi, if we sell Torreira, and if we bring in, you know, a top midfielder, if you like, that might preclude other purchases in that area of the pitch, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you might have to rely on an El Nenny to give you a bit of depth alongside Shaka, alongside Joe Willock or whoever else uh, might be in there. So... Um, one one to keep an eye on. The other one was Danny Ceballos, um, yeah. where he said, uh, let me just get up what he said about Ceballos here. Um, we have some talks. Danny knows what I think about him. He was pretty clear with me as well that his intention is to remain with us, but obviously Real Madrid are involved and uh, we don't yet know what they want to do with the player and he says you know he's a player we're interested in because we saw in the last few months what he's capable of bringing to us now um, while that happened or just after that happened um, there's a story in El Mundo Deportivo um, which I think you have to take with a pinch of salt um, that that he wants and has made clear to Real Madrid that he wants to play for Real Betis next Mm. season now he is a fan he's from Sevilla um, or down that way anyway and he is a fan of Real Betis so yeah I wonder I wonder if that's again a a little bit of uh, positioning on behalf of Real Madrid to to push Arsenal into into making a move I, I feel like he would probably have a better paid season at uh, Arsenal than he might do at Real Madrid. Although I wonder if Betis, I guess, I guess that doesn't make sense actually, given that Real Madrid would have to cover his wages one way or the other. So, well, I think it will be better for Real Madrid, shall we say, if Arsenal are the club who take him, because I think Arsenal, you would think, would be able to make a greater contribution towards his salary than mm. 
than Betis, although... That's, you know, the, that's the way Spain, I wanted to put it, yeah. Yeah, good. yeah, thank you. The reports in Spain were saying that Arsenal had sort of offered, I think, to cover 50% of his salary. Uh, I think Madrid would probably be looking for more than that. But, I mean, I, it would be quite a... It would be almost a, a turnaround of sort of Genduzi levels for Zinedine Zidane to decide mm. he actually really likes Danny Ceballos and he's going to use him. Um, I don't necessarily foresee it. I think he really was excellent in mm. sort of the run-in last season and I think if we can get him back it's actually at this stage at this point in time a relatively cost-effective way to get in a, a quality midfield player I know it doesn't solve the sort of long-term issue and you know Arsenal probably would have to think about how they could eventually make the commitment required to buy him the better he plays the more expensive he gets I suppose mm. um, well there's but, the gamble but, isn't it that if you put a if you put a purchase clause in the deal which is you know, reasonable on both sides. If he plays, um, if he plays poorly and doesn't have a good season, and we don't, we're not obliged to buy mm. him. That works. Mm. And if he plays well, and we can get him for what seems like a reasonable fee, maybe that might be a way of doing it. I mean, Real yeah. Madrid need money. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hope that one happens. And I think, I mean, the, the only worry is, you know, how, how long might it take to happen? You know, it could be October, like we say, before mm. before we get him and. You know, we're talking about a lot of central midfield players here, and I think we're all sort of looking at the team this season and potentially switching to three in midfield rather than two. But when we played the friendly uh, in midweek against MK Dons, it was the back three. And I just think, given all the question marks over that part of the pitch, I'm not sure we're ready really to kind of move to a midfield three. I'm not sure we have the the personnel yet necessarily in place. So no. It's um, it's a huge area of the team with a lot of question marks over it that need addressing. And as much as I'm uh, enthused by the signing of Gabriel, and you know I can kind of get on board with the idea of Willian, and I'm looking forward to Pierre Mkhitaryan hopefully signing his contract. That is a, a massive, massive uh, concern, isn't it? The middle of the park. Yeah, it's the big area. It's the, the the biggest issue that we have to solve. We've got too many numbers at centre half, but plenty of options. Um, you know, fullbacks are are pretty well sorted. We've got a uh, great striker, uh, really solid uh, international backup, if you like. In in Lacazette, we've got Nicolas Pepe, we've got Willian, we've got Martinelli, we've got Saka. You know, so there, there's a lot going on in 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 that area of the pitch. So it is the midfield, and I think, for me, it's the the technical quality and the technical security of the players that we bring in that might dictate how we play, um, that there aren't any stories about Lucas Torreira beyond some vague ones um, that, that Fiorentina might be interested again. So, again, he's one of those where I, I think if we... If we sell him, it'll be fine. And if we keep him, I think they'll also be fine with that, you know, because he's a, he's a decent player and um, mm. could work well. But you're right. I think this is, over the coming weeks anyway, the biggest area that, that Arsenal have to sort out. So uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see indeed. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, we'll talk on Monday, of course, after the Community Shield taking place uh, tomorrow um, in mm. at Wembley. Um, at, Wembley, yeah. at Wembley are you going are you going to be there Do no I won't be there this time right uh, unlucky just... James can't win them all I, I know well listen I'll be watching and mm. I will be reporting from my sofa so uh, yeah I mean it'll be interesting I'll be curious to see kind of who who gets a run out 
Yeah, it will. It will. I don't. I've said earlier in the podcast. I don't think it really makes a great deal of difference what happens in this game because it's more fitness exercise and yeah. than anything else. But as ever, you know, as fans, we're looking for the things that we can we can read into and little clues here and there. So maybe we'll get some of those. Anyway, uh, have a good weekend. We'll talk on Monday. Bye bye. You know where to find James. He's on Twitter at Gunnerblog in the Athletic, and of course on the Arscast Extra, which we will have for you on Monday. Looking back at whatever happens at Wembley uh, in the Community Shield against Liverpool. Thank you, as ever, for being here, for subscribing, for listening, for sharing, for all the feedback, all the comments, and everything else. If you want to get involved in our Patreon, you can do that, patreon.com forward slash arsblog, Discord chat server, fantasy football this season as well, in which you can win cash prizes and Arsenal shirts. It's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Enjoy the game tomorrow, hopefully. Um, If not, don't worry about it. There are more important games coming up this season. Have yourselves a great weekend anyway. James and I will be here on Monday, as I said. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Oh, it's uh, been a big week in the world of football and all eyes are on Barcelona, of course. What's going on there with Lionel Messi? Word is on the grapevine that Arsenal are interested in bringing him to the Premier League. Um, is, is there any truth in there? Absolutely. Oh, seriously? Yes. Really? Yes. You're not kidding? We are trying to finalise the deal. That's what I'm... That I can tell you at the moment. Well, that is very exciting news, Mikhail. Um, do you have any time frame on, on when it might be done? Well, I don't know. I'll make the decision tomorrow. Just one more for me, uh, Mikhail. Um, my wife, <laughs> yeah, seriously, my wife was wondering if she could have a picture of you doing yoga, maybe where you're uh, a little bit sweaty. Yes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.